Welcome to the Northridge Church Podcast, a weekly rewind of Sunday's talk. Go ahead and be seated, and uh, I want to also add my voice of welcome to you as you're here in this room or you're gathered on our iCampus. I'm so glad we're together today and uh, looking forward as we start this series. I'll tell you, there's a lot of series and a lot of things we're going to be teaching into, looking into that I'm super excited about. Who's your one? And then after that, we're going to look at just the bigness of God and look at how God, only, only God does some things in our lives. We're going to talk about that leading up into, into uh, Easter and then celebrate Easter together. And then out of Easter, we're, we're doing a, a parent series, looking at a parent series that will help us as we're raising children. So there's just a lot of things, a lot of moving parts here that I'm excited about, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Uh, let's go into this Hoosier one. And, and th- to start this, this day out, to start the series out, I want to play a little game here. Now, uh, I don't know, John, if this is going to be wise of me. We might change it in second series. Second, uh, second hour, but uh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just do a little word association, if you will, and just what pops into your mind, the first picture you have, just shout it out there, okay? Um, here, here's one. How about Star Wars? What pops into your mind when you hear the word Star Wars? The Force be with you. The Force be with you. What else? Princess Leia. Pri- <laughs> There's also psychoanalysis going on with this as well. Princess Leia, I'm not going to ask you which costume Princess Leia is in, okay? That can be just left to the imagination. Uh, what, what else? What's that? Yoda. Very good. That's a safe one. That's a safe one. Okay, how, let's move on. Let's move on. Next thing, okay? How about Kansas City Chiefs? Jeff, I'm looking right at you. I don't know that I want your answer right now. <laughs> Chiefs. The Chiefs. What's that? Winners, Mahomes, champions. Boy, a lot of people. Star Wars was a little quiet, but everyone has a thought for Chiefs. You know, okay, very good. Now here's one for you. How about this? How about the word Christian? Christian. Yeah, yeah. Okay. What else? Oh my, Aaron Munch. Oh boy. Yes, I agree. I agree. My wife is the model Christian. To live with me, it has to be. I know where you're going with that, Aaron Munch. Thank you. And you know, normally, for the record, normally I only give first names because I realize this is going out to the internet. But in your case, I give first and last name. And I'll give an address too. anyone that would like to, to visit this internet celebrity. So... Uh, but you know, here's the thing, here's the point I'm trying to make with Christians. I mean, obviously in a room like this, more than likely the term Christian would be a positive one. But, but the reality is when we say Christian to 100 people, we could walk away with 100 different definitions. I mean, one person says, me, you know, I'm a Christian. Uh, another person will say, you know, a kind person who's giving and who loves other people, loves others as great as themselves. But then you could have another person come up and who has maybe a bad experience with Christianity in, in our faith. And they'll say, oh, it's a person who's a hypocrite, right? Uh, oh, you know, I've heard that before. People, the meanest people I've ever met are Christians. You know, I've always heard that, that statement from, uh, 
from some waitresses who say, the worst day to waitress is on Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, right after church, the, the, the people that, that are the biggest cheapskates, rudest, most hateful, are those Christians who come right out of right out of church and go to Sunday lunch, you know. Uh, I've heard that. I've heard people talk about uh, different folks would say Christians are people that are just, they, they're very narrow-minded. They're, uh, they're, they're, they got big noses always butting into people's business. And at the same moment, I'll find another person that will say Christians are some of the most giving people I've ever met. And the reality is that term Christian, it, it is uh, it, it can mean a lot of things. It is a word, it is a word that just does not have as much clarity as we need to have when we're trying to describe our faith. The reality is the term Christian, I'm gonna, this might frustrate some of you, might upset some of you, please hang with me here. I would argue the word Christian is probably the poorest word to use to try to describe and try to define who we are. The reason why I believe that is the case is because if you look in the New Testament, uh, the first followers were not called Christians. The first followers, uh, originally the, the term Christian was a derogatory term. It was used three times in the New Testament, and the word Christian, most of you know, means little Christian or little Christ. And, uh, and so the, when people were saying little Christ, it was in a derogatory meaning uh, that these people, these Christ followers, they, oh, here they go again. They're just trying to be these little Jesuses. They're just trying to be these little Christ. And it was just a frustrating, uh, derogatory term. However, we see a different word. There is a different word that those early Christ followers seem to lean into quite, certainly more often than the three times that they were called Christians. In the New Testament, this word was used 281 times in the New Testament to describe these Christ followers. This term was used by Christ followers to describe themselves. What is the term? The term is simply disciple. Disciple was a word that was used by Jesus to describe his followers. This word disciple was used by followers to describe themselves and to describe people that were a part of this movement. The, the term disciple originally had more clarity and meaning and purpose behind the word than the term Christian. Matter of fact, I would argue this today. Here's a deep thought for you. I wonder if we're to the point in this world, in, in America, if many today who call themselves Christians could not call themselves disciples, right? There seems to be a whole lot of people that are very quick to say they're Christian, uh, yet if you look at what a Christian is versus what a disciple is, the two don't necessarily line up. And so today I want to look at what it looks like and what is a disciple, what did those first-generation Christians believe they were. I invite you to turn your Bibles, turn your scriptures to Matthew chapter 4. If you don't have a copy of scriptures, we provide a copy of what we're going to be reading on the screens for us. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, is telling the story of Jesus calling the first disciples. In verse 18, it says, "...on one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee..." He saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. So you get the picture, Jesus walking along. Now the thing that we don't understand that, that the early Bible readers would do is Jesus already began his ministry at this time. 
The, the, these, these fishermen knew who Jesus was. He was a rabbi. He was a teacher that was up and coming. People were paying attention to him. He's walking past these fishermen who are working for their living at this moment. In verse 19, Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets, and he called them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. So what is this story about? First of all, there's a lot that we need to learn and know about this story because for years, I remember as a kid when I was learning this story on the, the flannel graph in my Sunday school room, you know, I always had this image of like, like mind-numb robots or zombies that Jesus, you know, had this hypnotic spell over people that he, a perfect stranger could come to someone and say, follow me. And, you know, and his blonde hair would wisp through the wind and you could see those piercing blue eyes, you know, that every Mideastern Jew had back then. At least that's what the flannel graph made me believe. Uh, and, and he would, you know, just kind of through his just power of persuasion, people would just drop things and just go, I must follow Jesus. I must go with him. You know, that's what I thought as a kid, what was happening. But that is not the reality. And the, and, and the, the fact is, we don't have the time to get into what it was to choose to follow a rabbi. Uh, if we preached a sermon on this, I taught a sermon on this probably 10 years ago, eight years ago, uh, and, and it would take me 15, 20 minutes to unpack this package or this passage of what it means, and so we just don't have that time today. But what I have done is in, oh, approximately probably 20, 25 minutes on, uh, on Facebook, there is a real helpful article that's going to drop for you. You can go to our Facebook page, and check that out later today. And it's an article of how first century rabbis chose their followers. It's very interesting. It'll help you understand this passage better. The gist of it is this. In the first century, it was usually because rabbis were like rock stars. They were like the Hollywood elite of today. If you could be a religious leader in the world uh, in that day, you were someone. You, you had a life of ease. You had a life of fame. You had a life of celebritum. You had a life of wealth. And so everyone wanted to be a religious leader in Jesus' day. And, and in this time period, it was not, it was, it, there was never a rabbi. If a rabbi was successful, he was not going around asking people to follow him, but rather people would flock to the rabbi and they would do everything they could to convince the rabbi that they had what it took to study in their school. And here we see something radically different. The greatest rabbi of all time, the Messiah, he does not expect and wait for people to come to him to beg to serve at his feet and to learn at his feet, but he goes out and he chooses disciples on his own. He, see, he saw something in, in Peter, in James, in John. He saw something in them where that he recognized that they could be what he was. They could live out his ideals. They could be the kind of people he was pointing to and saying, this is what it looks like to live on, on planet Earth in the kingdom of God. And so he literally chose them. God chose Peter. God chose James. God chose John. God chose these individuals. 
Why is this in our scriptures today? Because the reality is, the understanding is, just as God has chosen those early disciples, guess what? God still chooses disciples today. So if you're sitting here today and you say, yeah, I feel like I'm a Christian. I feel like I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm a student of his. The reality is God has chosen you. You didn't choose God. God chose you. God picked you from the very foundation of the world. God knew who you'd be. God knew what you'd become. And God says, I believe in you. And so the reality is, is I understand that in this room today, there are so many people here that are struggling, right? You're struggling with marriage and you honestly at times don't know if your marriage is going to last one more week and you don't know what to do. You're struggling with your work. You hate your job. You feel like I'm, I'm in the middle of a job that I just, I just, I'm just dying. I'm suffocating as I'm going here. I just don't know if I could do this career for one more month, much less one more year. I don't know if I could retire at this profession. And you're just so frustrated with it. You're struggling with parenting. You're trying to do everything. Every time your kid zigs, then, then they, you know, you think they're zigging, then they're, you're, they're actually zagging, right? You know, every time that you think you got a handle on them and you're prepared for the situation that they're in, they're doing something totally different and they're unresponsive to every, every action of love that you give them. They're, they could care less about what you're doing. You just don't know what to do. You're pulling your hair out. You're dealing with all kinds of frustrations. In the middle of that, understand that God chose you. God chose you. No matter what the struggle is you're dealing with right now, it's not a case of you saying, well, I got to fix these things first and then I'll be a disciple of God's. No, no, no. You're a disciple of the living Jesus and he chose you even in the midst of your brokenness. Well, if God chose you, then we need to understand that when he chooses you, what's your task? Well, it's simply this. He calls you to be with him. When Jesus chooses you, he, the job is simply he will call you to, to be with him. Look, look at the original passage we read. What does Jesus say two times to these men? Follow me, follow me. The idea of following a rabbi was that you would lock your life in with this rabbi so closely you would be with him at all times. Matter of fact, there was a statement that was made of, of, the, of the best students. When, when someone really accomplished being a student of a rabbi in first century, people would say, the dust of the rabbi, the dust of your rabbi is on you. That wasn't a statement saying, man, you need to take a shower. You're dirty. That was a statement saying, you are so close to your rabbi. When he is walking along the road, the dust he is kicking up behind him is landing on you because you're just this close to the rabbi. And that was considered to be huge praise in that day that the dust of the rabbi would be on you. They would say that oftentimes when, when the rabbi would formally take in a student, then they, someone would say, may the dust of the rabbi, may the dust of this rabbi be upon you forever. The idea of you'd be forever close to your rabbi. And the reality is, is our Jesus has chosen us not to do great feats, not to go out and save the world, but to be with him, to be with him. And you need to understand today, friends, 
that if you are saying, yeah, you know what, I'm a disciple of Christ, your calling today is not to do great things. Your calling today is to not be some incredibly righteous person. Your calling today is not to be super active in the kingdom of God. Now hear me clearly, all those things are good. All those things should be happening in a disciple's life. But your primary task as a Christ follower, as a disciple of his, is to to be with Jesus. To be with Jesus. Why do you choose to be with Jesus? Because the hope and the goal is that as you are with Jesus, you will become like Jesus. To become like Jesus, you have to know him, don't you? You have to know him intimately. To know him intimately, you have to know his word. It's impossible for you to know Jesus if you don't know the things that Jesus said as he lays them out in the, in the New Testament, in the scriptures. And the cool thing is today, even though we don't have the luxury of having a physical Jesus right beside us like the original disciples did, we do have so many tools at our disposal. We have our Sunday morning experience that we come to gather here to worship and to call upon his name and to read his word and to study his word. We have small group opportunities to go and gather with other believers and talk about not just our lives, but talk about how this word interacts with our daily lives on a real and practical way. We have blogs and we have podcasts at our disposal. We have great books and mission opportunities to go on to help conform our lives into the image of God. And what I would just say to this is if you're serious about being a disciple, then use these tools. Use the tools at your disposal. Get into his word. How often should you be into his word? You should be into his word until it dominates your thinking and your behavior. That's how I know that I'm finally getting at the heart of discipleship when God's word becomes the front of how I respond. When God's word is, you know, I'm not perfect at that. I'm not describing perfection, but I'm describing that when you're entering into those things that I described earlier that are frustrating you, you're no longer thinking, well, how will I respond? But you're at least beginning to consider, what should I do on the reality of scripture? What should I do based on how scripture tells me to interact with these situations? Allow the scripture to dominate your thinking and your behavior. We also see this. When God chooses you, he calls you to leave what is most important to you. You see in the scripture, what did James and John do when Jesus said, come? It says in verse 22, what did they do? They left their boats and they left their father. They left everything that was important to them. They left everything that held influence in them. They left everything that identified who they were before they met Jesus. And you know, the reality is, is most of us today don't have to leave our families when we say yes to Jesus, when we become a disciple of his. There are some people in some cultures that do. I mean, you don't have to go very far in missiology, the study of missions. You don't have to go very far in hearing about believers that live in other parts of the world, parts of the world where Christianity is considered illegal. Christianity is, is pushed away, pushed down, and, and we will meet believers. We, I've, I've read, I read about a case just this past week, a, a Mideastern believer who came to Christ and a young lady, and, and when her family discovered that she was a Christian, they gave her a choice. They said, you either renounce your faith and come back to our family faith, or you're no longer part of our family. And she said, I can't do that. I can't. I, Jesus is the truth. I have to live with, I have to live with the reality that I'm his disciple. And so she chose, in effect, to leave her family 
to follow Jesus. Now, most of us don't have that experience here in America. Now, here, here's how it can play out, okay? And this might be your case. You come to faith in Christ and you have a calling, you have a desire to be close to your rabbi, you have a desire to be close to his family. And what happens? Your family or your friends that you're close to who knew you before Jesus all of a sudden start feeling uncomfortable around you, right? And they start saying things to you like, hey, that's great that you have this church thing and this religious thing, but would you just kind of keep it down when you're around our family? Because we don't like that. That's odd. Well, you know what? You have a dilemma in your life. You have a big dilemma because right there you have to make a choice. Will you honor what it is to be a disciple or will you just be quiet, tamp down your faith, keep it in a box, keep it in a package that only comes out on Sunday mornings and continue to live the way your family wants you to live or your friends or your coworkers? That's the choice that many of us have to make in our families and in our world today. That's what it looks like today. That when, when our neighbors, when our friends, when our, the people we love the most are uncomfortable around our faith, then we have to just keep our faith very much quiet and boxed in. What I'm trying to say is this, is that you and I, we all have moments in which we will have to answer the question, who has greater sway in our lives? You see what this looks like? A businessman has to has a choice of, well, you know, I can either continue to do business the way I've done business where I cut corners at times and I cheat my coworkers out of a sale or I cheat my customer. They, they'll never know the difference that they're getting a lesser product for maybe a, a higher price. I'm making a better margin here. Hey, I'm taking care of my family. Uh, maybe you cheat the government and what the government doesn't know, hey, this, this business is off the books. It's, it's in cash and so I don't have to pay taxes any longer. You, you have a choice of doing business the way you did or, or doing business as a Christ follower where you have truth ruling you and integrity ruling you. High school students and college students every day will have a choice of, do you allow your friends or do you allow King Jesus to have greater impact with your life? And in that decision, our high school students have to make the choice and understand that they could be labeled and probably will be labeled uh, derogatory terms in their, uh, among their friends like the virgin or, or the Jesus freak. And, and I'm telling you, as a former Jesus freak in high school, High school guys and college kids, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. Uh, looking back now, I would not do anything different. I would not have been a part of the pack with my buddies. I would not have gone away, not, not missed out on those monocles, on those, on those terms, on, uh, on those derogatory names that it made me the person I am today to be able to stand on my own two feet. But the reality is, friend, if you're in high school today, if you're in college, you have to make that choice. Who's going to have greater sway in your life? Moms and dads, you have to make the choice every day how you're going to raise your kids. You see, the world would tell us it's important for you to raise your kid to be the smartest kid or the most popular kid or the most athletic kid. And you will do everything you can to make those kids fit into those, into those, those molds. Or you can push back from that and to say, I'm going to make my kid one who follows King Jesus with their heart and with all their soul and with all their mind and with all their passion. And maybe your kid's not going to be the most athletic or the smartest or the most popular, but it's okay because King Jesus 
is, is their person, is their being who they focus on totally with all their heart and with all their life. Matter of fact, I had an existential, I'll speak into that just for a moment here. I had a, one of those existential moments occur to me just a few months back because from the day that Dax was born, I prayed that God would make him a man who loves him, a man who follows after his heart. And that God would be in the, in the center of Dax's life, his whole life. And that sounds like a good prayer that every Christian parent could get behind. And, uh, and what I experienced uh, this past year is, is, you know, Dax is a little kid. And probably not, probably not, no one's missed out on that, on that notice there that he's, he's small. He's a little guy. And uh, in school, you know, even, even in a Christian school, you know, little kids are little kids. And, and so... So some of the bigger kids notice that he's the littlest one. And oh, oh, as a dad, as a dad, and as, as, and as this dad, you know what I found myself a number of times, I will confess to you, when I saw a kid, you know, I'd be, because I just, I hang out. I, I'd make it a point to, to be a part of that school and to be a part of that life. And so I, I'll see a kid maybe teasing Dax a little bit. And I'm just like, who's your dad? Because I want to meet him. And in my mind, I'm like... I'm going to beat him up in front of you, and I'm going to say, it's because of you I'm doing this. You know, I'll, admit, I'll admit that kind of has come into my mind once in a while. And I'm just, oh, I just start gritting my teeth, you know? And, and then I have to realize, and, and, and about, well, it's not I didn't realize this. The, I, I feel like the Holy Spirit spoke to me about a month or so ago. Gave me incredible peace here about this. Because he, he said to me, how do you expect Dax to stand on his own two feet when he's 25 years old and he really feels pressure, how do you expect that he's going to be able to say no to the crowd if he can't handle a little teasing when he's five years old? Tony, perhaps this is the beginning of a training that he has to go through to be the man you prayed for when he was born. So, so we have that decision to make, Dana and I, and every mom and dad in this room have to, have that, have to make that decision. The reality is if if I've spent a lot of time on this subject and you're like, hey, move on, Tony. I don't have any kids or my kids are grown already. Okay, how about this one? Here's something everyone deals with. Everyone deals with what we do with our finances. The Bible is unequivocal. It is unequivocal in the fact that as disciples, we must give our first and our best to the Lord. We believe that to start at a tithing range, a 10% range. And 25 years of ministry has shown me in this world that this is one area that so many people will choose not to be a disciple and they will not follow Jesus' lead in this area in their lives. And by not following that lead, they are saying no to discipleship. Another thing I see is that when God chooses you, you will spiritually reproduce. You will spiritually reproduce. What does is, what is Jesus promise? Peter, he says, if you follow me, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. I'm going to have you fish for people. This is not a call just to the outgoing of us, right? To the people who are who are bold. This is not a calling to salespeople. This is not a calling to those who are more aggressive or more assertive. This is a calling for every single person who's a Christ follower, who's a disciple. You, friend, you say, hey, I'm a wallflower on the, on the side of the, 
room. I like to just stay outside of being engaged from people. I like to be unnoticed. You know what? For you, you're still called to be a fisher of people, no matter who you are. This is such an important topic that as Jesus was leaving planet Earth after he was risen from the dead and he was about to ascend to heaven, he gives marching orders to his disciples and he tells them in Matthew 28, verse 19, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. A lot of tasks he gives us, but all of them are centered around the fact that we are called to go and make disciples in all nations. The reality is this, we live in a world of great need. None of us can argue that. And there's many of us that get really excited about the idea of, hey, we're, we're giving money to make sure people in South America have clean water, or we're giving money to make sure that there are, are warm beds and clean sheets for folks that are dying of AIDS in Africa. We're giving money to make sure people all across the world have the gift of literacy and literature and they can read and they, they can take control of their lives because they can read for themselves. We, we get very excited about those things, but I want to make it very clear that I am convinced that all those needs for clean water, for food, for safe homes, for places of safety to go to, for, for families to be operating with economic security, all of those things are super important. Are, super, are needed within this world. But the greatest need that we have in this world is for people to know Jesus Christ as their King, as their Lord, as their Savior. And in this process, it's time for us to stop being Christians and to start being disciples here and to do what Jesus tells us to do. So I already alluded to and I already spoke about this during our prayer time. In 2020, I'm just asking you the question as we look at the theme of prayer, care, and share. We're going to pay attention. We're going to pay attention to how we can use prayer to engage this world, how we can care for this world, not because we're good human beings and because we want to help people, but because we want people to see the love of Christ so that that would influence them and then ultimately to share. And, and I realize that term can be, you know, you can be like, what are you talking about sharing? Sharing my life, sharing my money, sharing my resources? No, that's the care part. I'm talking when I say the word share, I'm saying that at some point you get eyeball to eyeball with that person in your life and you share a verbal witness of what Jesus has done in your life and how he saved you from your sins, how he gave you a, a, new, a new position in this world, how he changed you from the inside out and how they can have freedom from sin as well because if Jesus changed you, he can change them. That's what I'm talking about when I say share, having a verbal witness in which you share your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, for some of us who maybe we've said, oh, we're Christians, but we've never really considered about what that means. And the reality is we are far from looking like a disciple. Maybe the first step is just to ask, has Jesus changed you? Has Jesus, has there ever been a point in which you come to your life and you said, Jesus, yes to you. I'm saying yes to you, Jesus. And I choose to live my life under your authority, under your lordship. 
versus some of us, we've just kind of just floated into the church, right? We just kind of landed and we became these cultural Christians because these people, you know, the people around me kind of look like me. So yeah, I'm a Christian too. I, I give mental assent to God. I believe God's real and I give mental assent to, to Jesus. I believe Jesus is real, but there's never been really a her, internal heart change. There's never been a point where you said, yes, I'm going to be a disciple for Jesus. And when he tells me to do something, I'm going to do it. For you, I would I just start with that question of, are you truly a disciple of Jesus? And this year, as we talk about prayer and care and share, I just begin this conversation by asking you, who's your one? Who's your one? And could you imagine, I'm not giving some kind of crazy challenge out there where I say, hey, every person here, you, you need to witness and share your faith five times a week, you know, or, or hey, every person here, I want to see you bring 20 people to faith this year. That's, that's, I, that's tough. I, I, don't, I wouldn't live that out myself. But I'm asking you, in 2020, could we make it where we say we are going to do everything we can, everything we can to see one of our friends, one of our family member, one of our, one of, one of, a person that's in our world, we're going to see one person come to Jesus this year. Now, I get that you can't force someone to come to Jesus. And I'm not saying that you're going to be twisting the screws so hard that it's about getting a notch on your belt. I'm not talking about that. But what, rather what I'm talking about is that would you be willing to partner with God and see where God is at work, God is active in someone's life, and join God in that activity where he would use you as a conduit, he would use you as a mouthpiece, he'd use you as a bridge, he'd use you as a person who's willing to stand in the gap and share your faith with that person who he's already at work with. Would you be willing to do that? Where does it begin? Because I know, I get that many of us go, I don't know. Yeah, I'm willing, Tony, but I don't know where to even begin because that's such a big task. Where do I even start with that? Well, this month, as we ask the question, we look at who's your one, there is a really cool tool. And John, I, I apologize. I forgot to even bring one of these up here. But there's a, there's a booklet we have 30 days of prayer that helps you pray for a friend, pray for a family member in an educated way, in an informed way, 30 times uh, through the next month. Thank you, John. This is the book here. It's a free book. These, this is such an important resource. We just bought them and said we want our church to have them. We also will have several of these popping up on Facebook throughout, throughout the month as well. But I'd invite you to grab a book here. You can Grab a book. that We have them at our prayer stations over here and over here. We have them back on the table uh, by the sound booth, uh, the media booth. And then we also have them on the connection table as well. You can grab one on your way out. I would challenge you to grab one of these books, identify who your one person is, and begin a 30-day time, a 30-day commitment to praying specifically for that one. Now, let me tell you why this book, I think, will be helpful for you, and these prayers will be helpful, because if we're not trained and we don't know how to pray for somebody who's far from God, here's what our prayers look like on day one. We say, Lord, would you just, would you just save this person? Would you just make this person, help this person understand that you're king? Amen. And then day two, you're saying, well, God, would you just save this person? Would you save this person? Day three, God, God, would you save this person? Save, would, Lord, Lord, would you just do whatever it takes to make this person come to know you? Day four, God, save this person. Day 100, God, save this person. Now, hear me clearly. You know what? God honors that prayer, okay? I'm not saying that. But what I've understood, i come to understand is as human beings, 
oftentimes when we're engaging with the exact same prayer, we tend to get frustrated. We tend to give up on God before his timing is acted out. This 30-day guide helps us think of fresh ways to be praying for our friend throughout these 30 days. So it engages us at a different angle every day, which causes us to you know, experience some creativity in prayer, and it causes us to continue to be enthused and, and to be challenged in pray, prayer as well. And so I would challenge you, grab one of these books and just, you know, just use it this next 30 days to pray for a one person that God would use, that God could put in your life who would come to him this year. And then once, you know, part of the goal of this prayer is these 30 days of prayers, these 30 days of prayer help, help soften this individual, but it also helps inform us of how we can begin caring for them and, and to come to a point where we're prepared and ready to share with them. So in a few moments, I'm going to pray. The band's going to come up here, and we're going to sing a song. I invite you during that song time, you go grab a book during that time, or even on your way out, go grab a book and just engage in this. And, uh, and think through, who's the one person that's in your life who God could use you to share an, an incredible story an incredible witness about Jesus coming and changing lives, about Jesus reclaiming and redeeming broken lives, and the fact that he uses us to be people who will stand in the gap and be his hands and feet and mouthpiece is an incredible thing. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. And Lord, I just ask, Lord, would you show me and would you show the people in this room and the people watching us online who is our one God? Lord, as you reveal that person to us, give us the eyes to see, give us the ears to hear. And Lord, help us come at this not as if it's just our idea, but Lord, help us understand that we are disciples. We are disciples. We are your disciples. And part of being your disciple is that we will fish for men and women in our lives. So help us be passionate about this as we engage in this area. These things I pray, Father, in your Son's powerful name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Northridge Church Podcast. If you'd like more information about Northridge Church, you can find us online at mynorthbridge.org.